The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Conscious Evolution Radio with your host, Ann Gelsheimer. We are entering higher levels of consciousness with both old and new spiritual technologies to help us be the people we've always dreamed of being. We can make the choice to evolve in consciousness and become the change the world needs today. Now, here is Ann Gelsheimer. Hello, and welcome to Conscious Evolution Radio. I'm your host, Ann Gelsheimer, and my guest today is author Wanda Birch. Wanda is a 25-year breast cancer survivor whose work with her dreams saved her life and led her to deeper healing and wholeness. In her book entitled, She Who Dreams, A Journey into Healing Through Dreamwork, Wanda shares her experience of how dreams warned her that she could die at a particular age, then foretold an imminent breast cancer diagnosis, and guided her towards treatment and wellness. Wanda worked with allopathic medicine, but believes she is alive and well because of her intimate engagement with the dream world. Wanda now leads arts, healing, and reintegration retreats, and works in partnership with singer John Kenosian to provide a program of dreams and music that allow participants the opportunity to experience the imagery in their dreams and healing potential of music. When I first came across Wanda's fascinating and inspiring book, I was leading a support group for cancer patients and their families. I'd been doing that for many years, and I thought this book would be perfect to share with the group. The reason being is her book is very empowering. It's a true story of how our intuition, or if you like wisdom or higher consciousness, works to get our attention and to guide us to greater healing and wholeness no matter what the path may be that we have to walk. I've heard from so many people who were diagnosed with cancer that their intuition was the first sign that there was something wrong and that it was their intuition, in combination with a good amount of research, that guided them very well in selecting the best treatment options. I also related to Wanda's book because, like her, I had carried a strong sense from the time I was a child that I would only live to about the age of 40, maybe a little bit more. After that, all bets were off. And it was interesting. In 2005, I had a dream. I was about 43 at the time when I was told how and when I would die, which was quite imminent. And in the same dream, I also obtained an extension on my life contract. After the dream happened, about two to three weeks later, I had a near-fatal rollover car accident on the highway. And instead of dying, I walked away with barely a scratch. And I really do attribute that to having renegotiated my life contract. So, Wanda, for so many reasons, I'm very, very interested in what you shared in the book. And welcome to being a guest on Conscious Evolution Radio. 
Thank you so much, Anne. I'm excited to be here, and I'm looking forward to talking to you about my story and your story. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, tell us, tell us from the beginning, when you were a child, how you learned to value dreams, because that was so interesting, uh, what your family used to do in the mornings. I grew up in the South, and I grew up in a dreaming culture. My grandmother was a healer in the Alabama mountains, and every morning at breakfast, my mother would ask me, what did you dream last night? And for some reason, and I never understood this, it had to be after we had eaten breakfast. We couldn't share these dreams before breakfast. And I've actually run into other people who had similar experiences, and none of us seemed to know why that was important. But it was. And we would share dreams, and we would talk about them. And I think in the process of talking about them, you're already stating an intention or at least revealing an intention that you've had somewhere in the night and you're speaking to that and you're already looking at the elements in the dream and you're taking action on them. And I discovered as I matured in working with my dreams that that is so important to not only record a dream, to talk about a dream, to speak with friends about a dream, but to discover what you need to do inside and outside that dream in order to facilitate healing or just to facilitate understanding what the dream was in the night. So you had a lifelong practice of recording your dreams, is that correct? It, it is. I was a bit schizophrenic about it. I would record what I thought were important dreams. It was not until I met a friend, Robert Moss, who writes extensively about dreams that I began to understand that I needed to record every dream, no matter how unimportant it seemed. And then I realized after my surgery in 1990 for breast cancer that I had been dreaming for almost two years uh, a diagnosis of breast cancer, and I simply had not understood that. And I was writing them down. I was, some of them were uncomfortable. I was closing the book on those. I was writing the next one, and it might be a little bit frivolous. And as the days and the weeks and the months passed, I didn't realize that I was steadily dreaming about a health problem until the dreams became more intense and the dreams began to tug at me in a different way. Now, would you share some of the big dreams that you had? Like, I know you had the dance hall dream repetitively, but and then there were other dreams that were really big signs of something big coming. In 1989, I began preparing for an archaeology expedition as a volunteer with Earthwatch, and I, I was going to Asante Manso in West Africa. Asante Manso is, for the Asante people, the origin of, of their people, of, of all peoples. This is their creation story. And I was excited about doing that. I began to dream just months before that journey that I was packing for two journeys. And the dreams were very specific, that I was packing for a journey to West Africa and that I was packing for a journey of healing, and I didn't get it. And at the same time, you spoke of intuition. There was also a strong intuitive feeling that something was wrong inside my body. And as I began to think about that, as I began to feel that, uh, my dreams changed again. And I began dreaming intense dreams, uncomfortable dreams, but they still were not quite specific enough. 
And then I began to have sharp shooting pains in my breast, and I made my first doctor's appointments, and they, they said, they're fine. I had a mammogram. It was fine. I was scheduled for an ultrasound. I had doctors saying, you know, how much chocolate are you eating? How much coffee are you drinking? And pain is not indicative of breast cancer. So I went, traveled to West Africa. My father had died a year before, and one of the most important dreams that I journaled happened while I was in West Africa. I dreamed that my father came to me in the night. He was wearing a, a white coat himself, and he was pulling behind him a doctor from the Mayo Clinic, and he was shouting at me as loud as he could, you have breast cancer. You need to do something about it now because they aren't going to believe you. And I sat up in bed, and I remember thinking, okay, I'm in West Africa. Now it's going to have to wait for a couple of weeks, but I get it. At the same time, I was in another dreaming culture, intense dreaming culture. And everywhere I walked, everything I said, everything I did seemed to be leading me toward a healing journey. We worked in a place at a Santa Manzo called the Place of Pots. It was discovered while we were there. The archaeologist uncovered it. I sat in the corner of this enormous pit with all of these little medicine pots. And as I was using the brush to uncover the pots in my space, I uncovered three pots that did not have holes in them. The pots were killed when someone was healed in this place, and this was a place of healing. And what happened was the medicine man would bring a person there and they would do ritual and chants and dances and trancing, and they would place the illness inside the pots, and then they would stab holes through the pots, and they would destroy the illness. The three pots I found were solid. They were whole. Wow. And, And standing behind me was a young Asante man, and he whispered very softly behind me that this is a place of healing. This is a place for you. Our people come from the sky. Our people come from the ground. This is for you. Oh, and, my goodness. And I knew that it had begun and that I knew I had to do something. I had to do something quickly, but that I was on a journey for my life. I knew that at that moment. That is amazing. Wow. Okay, so where did it go from there? What, what happened next? I came back home. I had an ultrasound. The ultrasound maybe found a a dot of something, and I was told, well, let's wait a year. And I said, let's not wait a year. This, this, I'm dreaming about this. And I knew that sounded crazy. And I was sent to a doctor, Dr. Barlin. He actually shows up in my book as Dr. Bart because I didn't have permission from him to share the story at that time. And I went to him, and I thought, he's going to think I'm crazy. But I walked in. And I told him about the dream of my father, and I told him that I was dreaming that I had breast cancer and that no one believed me. He handed me a felt-tip pen, and he said, have you dreamed where it is? And I said, well, last night I had a dream, and I had, that I saw a cone-shaped breast, and inside the breast was a vial of dark liquid. And a stranger in the dream stood beside me and said, turn it over. And I walked to the bathroom where I was running water, and I turned it over, and I saw exactly where it was. 
and I ran the water through it, and I watched the dark liquid run out of the vial and run down the drain. And I told Dr. Barlin the dream, and he said, draw it. Draw it on your breast. Where, where was the vial of dark liquid? And I did. He did a needle biopsy, and the needle met resistance, which is what he understood to mean, that that's where the problem was, and that's where they found the tumor in uh, surgical biopsy. Um, he also probably he did something even more important. He said to me, go home and do something about this. And I didn't question him. I got in the car, and I drove home, and I wasn't sure if I understood what he meant. And I sat down, and I immediately thought again of the breast, the comb, the breast comb, and I thought, I do know what he means. He means that I can take that image, and I can work with it, because the mind, the body believes what the mind presents it. It presents an image and the body believes it. And this was going to be my first image for healing. So for the next three days before the surgical biopsy, I sat and I imagined taking that cone breast with the vial of dark liquid and running it under the water through it and over it and seeing the dark liquid flow down the drain over and over and over again until I felt like I was doing something about this. And I remembered his words time and time and time again. And as, as I began to go through the process of surgery and chemotherapy and anxiety and depression and all of the things that come with the, the year of treatment for breast cancer, I returned again and again to my dreams, and they changed. Each time I had chemotherapy, they changed before chemotherapy. I stopped having dreams of diagnosis. I started having dreams of healing. I saw bags of, of flowing energy in the chemo chair instead of poisons and toxins. So when I sat in the chemo chair, I envisioned myself, I envisioned these toxins being energy and healing that would flow through my body, and I used that over and over again. I began to write messages from the dreams and taped them in my car. I began to tape my own voice because I decided that the best meditation was a meditation from my own material, from what I was dreaming. And I would create a small meditation, I would tape it, and I would play the tape in the car because then my body was listening to my own voice. And, and every time I needed a new image, the image was there. It appeared over and over and over again. I love it. I, I, we actually used to do things like that in the group that I led, uh, creating, you know, visualizations that would be recorded. And, but I love the transformation of the chemo into healing energy so that you could receive it and it could become a healing modality rather than something damaging to you. Yes. Yes, and language is very important. In the arts and um, healing retreats that I do through Creative Healing Connections, I remember talking to a young woman who had actually read my book, and she said that she went into the chemotherapy room and she'd had one treatment, and she said, I saw the bag of toxins and I... I was envisioning them as healing toxins, and I said, no, no, no. <laughs> I said, right. that's, that's wonderful, but I said, you've got to change the language. You, you've got to change the language of what you're seeing. And she didn't understand that when she first said it. She understood it when 
I, I used the word toxin back to her, and then she understood that she was simply using the word poison again. So she created her own meditation, and she expanded it. In fact, she expanded it to seeing herself sitting on the dock of her favorite place where her family would go um, for camp in the summer, and she saw that this was her chemo chair. It was the deck chair at the end of a dock in a place of woods and water, which was important to her. And now she saw wonderful healing energy coming through that bag and flowing through her body. So she not only changed the language of that simple image, but she created a place, and places is just as important in finding... um, healing imagery and, and place, placing your mind somewhere where it can in, um, envelop um, the whole process of healing. So we're going we're gonna to take a short break, but I want to come back to that because that was very important, the whole idea of healing place. And I want to ask you about choosing dreams and how you work with them. I love Robert Moss's work, so I'd yes. be thrilled to talk about how you applied that to your own story. So this is Ann Gelsheimer on Conscious Evolution Radio, and we will be right back. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Ask Theo Live, channels to a new reality. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live, channels to a new reality, Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Why spiritual spelunking? Why tending to our inner garden? Why devoting time to inner being when so much external doing calls upon us? An Indian sage put it wisely, your own self-realization is the greatest service you can render the world. Join host Jeel Asselin as he serves as both guide and companion on the journey within. Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us can be heard every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are tuned in to Conscious Evolution Radio. And we love to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments about the show via email to Conscious Evolution Radio at gmail.com. Again, that's Conscious Evolution Radio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, this is Ann Gelsheimer, and welcome back to Conscious Evolution Radio. 
My guest today is Wanda Birch, and Wanda has been talking about how she worked so effectively with her dreams to actually uh, get treatment for breast cancer, get it diagnosed, and then uh, select the right treatments and really transform the process into one that was as healing and as uh, supportive of wellness as possible. So, Wanda, let's go right back into that idea of, of finding the healing place. Tell us a little bit more about why that's so important and what, what you meant by that. A healing place can be anywhere that speaks to you. It can be a, a place in a dream. We all dream of houses. We all dream of of rivers and streams and places and woods and water. It can also be a physical place in your waking reality where you feel peace and calm. And I recognized quickly that place in my dreams was just as important as place in my waking reality and often they connected with one another. I had a powerful dream, which I called the Healing Pool of Bethesda. And I, my friend, which we've mentioned before, whom we've mentioned before, Robert Moss, felt that this was also a dream that can be used for dream transfer, which is, a, which is another way of giving someone place who doesn't have a place. And you can share a dream like this and say, come in with it. You know, come with me inside this dream and find your own pool, find your own place where you can walk with a friend and walk into a healing pool. But the the dream itself, the dream that I had, was that I had walked to the healing pool of Bethesda, and I saw the word Bethesda in the dream. Hmm. And I didn't remember the Bible story immediately. I actually saw a Bible verse in the dream, and I looked it up when I woke up, and I realized that I was dreaming of an important healing place. And in this place, the person who is ill sits on the steps above this healing pool, this pool of water, and this pool of water is not always there. So the person waiting for healing not only waits for the water to come gushing up into this once dry space and then becomes this bubbling, flowing, gushing stream of water, but also has to make sure that happens at the same moment that a powerful guardian or angel takes their hand and walks into the pool. Mm. A lot of things to happen at the same time. They all happened beautifully together in my dream. I was there. I was walking down toward the pool. I saw the word Bethesda. I walked in, and a person who was a friend of mine came over, took my hand, and I walked into the pool. I woke up, and I actually questioned, was that, was that it? Had I, had I actually received a complete healing mm-hmm. process that would take care of what was happening inside my mind and my body at that time? Could be, but I decided to continue on the journey, the medical journey as well as the, the dream journey. And and then I realized this is a gift. This is a gift. You can tell people this dream, and you can invite them to go to a place in their own 
physical, mental environment. They can walk there in waking reality or they can close their eyes and they can go in a dream and they can walk to a place that's special to them, any pool, in any place, in any forest, in any woods, and they can envision themselves going in with the intention of healing. And that's what the story of Bethesda is all about. It's about intention. You've stated an intention, you've stood up, you've taken responsibility for yourself, you've asked for help, the guardian appears, and you go into the pool. And it's a more ancient story than that. It, it goes back to ancient mythology and a god called Serapis. And in that story, the dragon opens its mouth and the water um, flows out of its mouth. And it's a, it's a story of meeting your own death and of finding healing in, in the pool of water. That's beautiful. And I want to make clear to people who are listening that the dreams that we're talking about here, sometimes they do occur at night, but we can also have dreams during the day, yeah. um, sort of meditations or, uh, you know, sort of, and this is where we get to sort of, I think, Robert's work of sort of actively re-entering dreams or initiating dreams uh, while we're awake. Could you talk to us about that? Oh, Yes. And one of, once again, one of the more powerful dreams in that period of time was a dream that is a classic dream that has occurred for centuries in all cultures, uh, the dream of dying and coming back and becoming the wounded healer. And in that dream, in my version of that dream, I saw myself waking up inside the dream and walking through a field of body parts, and I had been completely dismembered. Everything that was mine was now in fields, rows and rows and rows, and I could shed all the old parts, and I could harvest new ones. I could take anything I want, blood, bone, um, the you know, the breasts, the, the arms, the legs. I could take all the body parts, and I could put myself back together again. And after I'd gathered all of these parts, I washed them in hyssop, I cleansed them, I washed them, I put my body back together, and I was, I was new. Everything was whole again. And once again, this is a dream that, that I needed to take action on. I needed to do something with. I needed to make it real in my life. And I wrote a meditation from it. I drew it. You can, you can, and if you're a musician, you can write a song about it. If you're a writer, you can write a story from it. But you have to take an action on a, a dream that is important. You have to make it real, and you have to make it your life. You have to make it something that you can really latch on to and, and make it part of your healing journey. Oh, I love that. That's right. You're taking it seriously then. You're paying it respect. Mm-hmm. And and I, I remember uh, when I was reading some of Robert's work, he talks about sort of amplifying a dream. So if we have a dream at night that seems really important, we can actually step back into it and explore it a little bit further. Is that something that you did with any of your dreams? I did that with many of my dreams. You can do it alone and you can do it with a friend. And it's it's it, it's really um, important to make sure that if you do it with a friend, that they know what your intention is, and it can become a very valuable experience. You can take a night dream, and you can expand it. You can move it forward. You can bring into it what you need, 
And what you do is you tell the dream to the other person in the first person. And all of this also plays into a very simple process, which Robert shared is the lightning dream process, which you, where you share a dream, you give it a title, uh, you share it in first person, you uh, talk to the other person, and you talk about the elements of the dream that are from your waking reality. You say aloud what you really want to know in the dream, and you concentrate on that, and then you say to each other, if it were my dream, and you never take someone's dream away from them, it's still their dream, Mm -hmm. but we have a common experience, and sometimes it's interesting to hear what someone sees in your dream that you don't see, and what they say may resonate deeply with you or not. That's your choice. You get to choose what you take and what you keep from what the other person says. To re-enter a dream, you, you either do this by yourself or with someone. You go back inside the dream. There it is. You walk back inside it and you tell yourself, or, you, or if you've invited somebody to come in with you, you say, here is my dream. I'm going to share it with you. Now I want you to come in. Here's where I want you to go, and here's what I want you to see, and here's what I want you to look for. And then I want you to allow your imagination and I will allow my imagination to move that dream forward. Because what we receive from our intuition, from what's inside us, is equally as valuable and as important and as trustworthy as the night dream. And so we go back inside and we allow ourselves to move forward. Who is the woman in the door? Who is she? Ask her. What does she want? Do I need to follow her? Uh, does she need to show me something? Let's let's see what she has to offer. Where does the door lead? Where does the path lead? Now I have the ability outside the dream to move outside that door and go outside. And what is out there? Is there a landscape? Is there someone who, who is telling me something? Is there someone who is showing me something? I can now write from this. I can draw from this. And I can keep expanding it even after I finish this process. I can, I can start writing, and as you're writing, it begins to flow even further into a story, and you just let it grow and grow and grow until you fully understand what, not only what the message was, but what it can be. Oh, I love that. It's such an exciting process and so rich. But it does require respect for our imagination, and which I guess people learn to trust as they do this process. And I think it also requires choosing. You don't, you don't want to take a dream that is negative and follow a negative path. You have to understand that you need to either change what you've seen or you've got to let it grow in a positive direction. So you don't want to take a negative dream or a nightmare. You've got to face a nightmare, but you don't want to take what you see as negative and allow it that to grow. You need to find out inside the dream, what do I need to do about it? What do I need to face? What do I need to do to change this? Is it something simple? I dreamed in one of my dreams that a giant spider had walked into the room. And in that dream, I understood that I was in the the midst of the chemo treatments, that the cancer was still there. I still had something to get rid of. And in that dream, I envisioned myself upon waking as taking that spider and turning it into a wind-up toy, doing anything with it 
to turn it into something else so that it is no longer part of your dreaming and waking experience and no longer part of your mind-body experience. What you have to leave yourself with is something positive and whole that you can work with. I had dreams where I was walking into a room and seeing a, a black room with drawn curtains and an old woman uh, who was doing terrible things with dark, dark messages in the room. And I saw myself walking into the room and opening the windows and pulling the curtains down and letting the air in and letting the light in and erasing the blackboard and ordering the old lady out. And I could do that. I would learned to do that a little bit inside the dream, but then when I woke up, I could continue to do it. And I could see myself changing, changing, changing the dream until it was a dream of light and healing. Oh, I love that. It's literally reworking the dream landscape that reworks our whole life inside mm-hmm. and out. Now, you had an incredible dream about um, when you actually uh, extended your life contract. Would you tell us about that dream? That dream began long before I actually had the dream. In 1960s, I began dreaming a dance hall dream. And in each of these dreams, it was a recurring nightmare. And I didn't understand what to do with these nightmares at the time, and I just recorded them. And I would see myself dancing down a hallway toward a small door at the end of the hallway. And I understood that I was to die. The dreams became more and more clear in just a year or so before the chemotherapy or before the diagnosis. And then shortly after the diagnosis, I had the dream again. And now the dream was clear that I was going to die when I was 43 years old. I was 42 when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I realized in the process of working with all of these wonderful dreams, they were incredible dreams, I I felt when I woke up that they were healing, that I was on a healing path. The cancer was, was, uh, it was not, you know, the cancer cells were gone. I was uh, having clear reports. Everything was going beautifully, but I was still uncomfortable. I still remembered the dance hall dream. And as the date of my 43rd birthday approached, which was in March, and the treatments began in the, in the winter, um, well, went through March and through into the next year, and as the time for my 43rd birthday approached, I realized I was still holding on to the dance hall dream. I was still terrified. It didn't matter that I'd had all of these wonderful dreams of healing places and, and reclaiming body parts and, and reclaiming life and spirit and soul and everything else. I still felt that I was going to die. The, the night, several nights before my 43rd birthday, I had a terrifying dream in which a messenger said simply to me, you're going to die. You're going mm-hmm. to die when you're 43 years old. And I woke up absolutely terrified, and I, I didn't know what to do. So I was sitting, I woke up, I came downstairs, I sat with the dream, and I didn't know what to do. And then I realized I had to go beyond the messenger. Mm-hmm. I had somehow to get beyond the messenger. There was a source somewhere. There was some body that I needed to talk to. I had to end the dance hall dream. I had to end the dream of the messenger. The night before my 43rd birthday, I went to sleep, and I woke up crying, 
sobbing. It hit almost hysterical. I came downstairs, and it was the dream that I'd asked for, but it was far beyond that. I dreamed that I felt myself rising out of my body, and I felt myself going up the side of a mountain. And the light was blinding on this mountain. I could not look up. And then I realized I was at the feet of someone, someone so powerful, so important. I, and, but I could not look at this someone. Was this someone an angel, a, a guardian? I don't know. But the light was intense. The light was calm. The light was peaceful. But I could not look at, at this person. And then I was shown a contract a contract that I was to die when I was 43 years old. And I found myself begging and pleading for my life. And then I was given a new contract. And when I woke up, I didn't remember how many years I had left. I didn't remember um, what this... I, I just woke with an understanding that that was over. I was not going to die when I was 43. The dance hall dream was over. I'd gone beyond the messenger, and I also understood that I had to do something for this contract. I had to to fulfill a bargain. I had to find a way in my own life to give back. And I, I set out from that moment forward to find that way. I did everything I possibly could. I joined advocacy groups. I, I became a Make-A-Wish volunteer. I discovered Creative Healing Connections where I could be part of a team of people who did arts retreats uh, for women surviving chronic illness and for women veterans. I became a breast cancer research reviewer with the Department of Defense, which has been one of the greatest pleasures and experiences of my life. I did all of those things. And I, I still look for ways to give back because that was part of the contract, and that was 25 years ago. That is beautiful. Well, we're going to take a break right here. Um, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about your new work. And I might just mention a little bit about my own dream uh, because giving back or helping was a, was a theme as well in, in, in extending that, the life contract. In any case, this is Ann Gelsheimer on Conscious Evolution Radio, and we will be right back. The 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Inside Out is the voice of the inner revolution. Join host Beth Green and co-host James Maynard for a weekly program empowering humanity to change. 
We heal traumas getting in our way, see ourselves more clearly, overthrow stale and destructive personal and social traditions, explore a new liberating spirituality, meet guests who are challenging old ways, and join up with others who are changing themselves and our world. Listen for Inside Out, live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You are tuned in to Conscious Evolution Radio, and we love to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments about the show via email to Conscious Evolution Radio at gmail.com. Again, that's Conscious Evolution Radio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, this is Ann Gelsheimer, and welcome back to Conscious Evolution Radio. My guest tonight is Wanda Birch, and we've been talking about how Wanda works so effectively with her dreams to help herself, uh, first of all, get treatment for breast cancer, and then move through the treatment phase, and even to extend her life uh, using uh, a dream as a way of extending her life contract. And I had mentioned just before the break that I'd had a similar experience um, when I was uh, 43, interestingly enough, same age. <laughs> I, I had this dream where um, I w- it was actually a whole lot of people in cars and death was approaching all of us in cars and telling us it was our time to go. And I remember in the dream, I, when death came to me, I held up my hand and I said from a really deep place, it wasn't like a thought, it was very, very deep inside myself saying, no, I can't go yet, I have to help. And in the dream, death dissolved and I woke up, but within a few uh, weeks of that dream, I had a very serious car accident, uh, happened at night on black ice, the car flipped and rolled many times. And But strangely enough, um, it, it landed up rolling down a little strip of land between the uh, sort of eastbound highway lanes and the westbound highway lanes. It, it flipped and no other vehicles were impacted. Um, my car was totally demolished. All the stuff that I carry for work was everywhere, all over the roads and stuff. But everybody was okay, including me. I had a tiny little cut on one finger because all the windows in the car had broken into the safety glass, but they'd all cracked out and disappeared. And so I got caught on one tiny little piece and a little bit of a, a soft tissue damage on my chest from the seatbelt and from the steering wheel. Um, but I was fine. I was literally able to walk away from the accident. And I knew um, that my I had been given an extension on my life. And that actually precipitated me starting to do work uh, with shamanism and uh, journeying, trying to understand, you know, who, who was I to help and what was I to help? What I didn't know at the time was 12 days after that very serious accident, my brother, uh, who'd had uh, melanoma three years before and we thought was in remission, uh, de- had developed uh, metastatic brain uh, tumors as a result of the melanoma moving to his brain, started having seizures and was required brain surgery and whole brain radiation. It was very, very serious. And if my poor parents had gone through my passing at that time and then 12 days later my brother starts having seizures and they find out you know, he had cancer in his brain, it would have been horrific for them. 
So I'm so grateful that I didn't have to go at that time. And he's doing very well, by the way. It's, this is 2005 we're talking about. And uh, he used uh, many different, uh, he used the allopathic system, but he used many different other uh, strategies to uh, get himself to the point where he's ex- doing extremely well. There's been no signs of the cancer coming back in 10 years. Oh, that's a wonderful story. I, I love those stories. I had um, a, a, a young woman that I met in the writing of my book who shared with me that she was given five years to live, and one of those doctors who give you a death sentence before you even have the time to process the, the illness itself, and she dreamed the night before her surgery that she was in the operating room and a, a being of light, a guardian, walked in and stood in front of her and said, pretty much, don't listen to him. Here's, oh, your, here's, here's your new contract. Sign on the dotted line. And it was very straightforward. But it also had a give-back clause. I think it's interesting that in most of the experiences, there is a sense of responsibility, whether you feel it or it's more direct, such as her writing on the dotted line that she had to give back, me promising this being that I would give back, and you having this same powerful feeling of giving back in some way. Oh, absolutely. It was definitely going to be service. And it was, and it came from, it felt like it came from my soul. It's like my soul spoke up and said, no, I have to help. And that was enough. That was sufficient. Mm-hmm. And that is... So, so let's talk about your work now, where it's gone, because I know you, you are now working with uh, veterans sometimes, uh, women veterans, um, and I find that fascinating. So tell us about how that happened and what you're, what you're doing. It came about through an organization in the Adirondack Mountains called Creative Healing Connections, and I had joined them probably about 15 years ago doing dream work with a storyteller and a singer-songwriter for women surviving chronic illness. And Great Camp Sagamore was our host up in Racket Lake in the Adirondacks and a beautiful environment for healing. And even if if all you do is just drive there and and sit in the space itself, in fact, one woman said there's a a gate that you have to lift to go into Great, Great Camp Sagamore And she came year after year, and she was uh, seriously ill with with all sorts of of heart problems and uh, recurring cancer problems. And she would lift that gate, and she said the moment she lifted the gate, she was there with her story. And that the stories, the music, and the dreams were her tools, and she would gather them up like a little tool bag, and she would carry them back with her. She would open the gate again, and they were her health plan. They were what carried her through for the next year and brought her back year after year after year, and she continues to defy the odds and the doctor's predictions and continues to come. But about five years ago, Someone suggested that there was another need that women veterans, and particularly women veterans, did not seem to have the resources to gather as a group in the same way that men do. And I think men probably also need to have the ability to find spaces where they can 
heal in their own way with the with the things that 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 give them spirit and life. Um, but women in particular would go to group meetings, and men would be there, and mm-hmm. they needed a space for themselves. So. A woman veteran approached us and said, give us that space. So we found a place in Lake George, New York, and it was a, it was already a place of healing. It was called Weawaka. It was developed in the 19th century by a shirt factory owner who was far... He was already thinking ahead of his time. He believed that if the women working in his factories in Troy, New York, had a place where they could go for a couple of weeks a year where there was water and woods and pleasant spaces, that they would come back and they would work better. So it became a place for women except for one month during the season, and then men can come in. And this was a place where we began to offer a program, which we called an arts and reintegration program, for women in the military. And they love being there. It's a place away from their families and homes. Some of them are homeless. Some of them have suffered uh, brain trauma. Some of them have been in, um, in the field of battle. Some of them have been nurses which is a, a different field of battle in the war. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And they've, they've been in Vietnam, they've been in Iraq, they've been in Korea, they've been all in all of the fields that we've grown up hearing the names. And the first time I went to one of these, it's about an hour and a half from my house, and I drove there, and I think I was more frightened of that experience than than I had been of anything for a long time because I thought, what do I have to offer to women who have been on battlefields? I've I've never experienced war. I've never experienced the kind of trauma these women have. Some of them were victims of MST, military sexual trauma. Right. Um, some of them had PTSD, which is um which is the post traumatic stress syndrome. I had no idea what what I was driving into, and I came. And the first night, we sit down, we introduce ourselves, and we talk. They talk about why they're there, and and each of us talked about each of the presenters, which were the, was the singer songwriter, the storyteller, and myself. And dreams are stories. You know, it's just the story you tell yourself in the night. Very good. I had been doing research on a new project of dreams in the letters of Civil War soldiers, and that's another story. But um, I had some fascinating dreams that drew me into into working with these, and, and uh, one of the first ones I saw was a dream of a soldier named Henry Graves, and he shared this, the quality of dreaming on a battlefield of dreaming of home as being the safety net for his heart, mind, and soul. And I realized that what he was saying applied to all wars and all people, that dreams mm-hmm. were the safety net. They were the place where you could go. And home didn't have to be home. It could be whatever you define as home. Home might not be a comfortable place for a lot of these people, but home, the place you dream of that, that brings you heart and soul and mind and body and brings them all back together. That was what home was in these dreams. So I sat down and I read to them 
three of the dreams of home from three of the Civil War soldiers that I had been collecting, uh, the dreams in 1863, 64, 65. And I read the words... Of, of them talking about the quality of dreaming of home being so intense that they thought they were there. They thought they were back at the table eating food with their loved ones, sitting with their family, seeing their friends, touching the face of the, uh, in this case, man, touching the face of the woman he loved, and then being brought back with a snap of a trig, trig, twig to the reality of the battlefield. And I looked up, and a young woman was sobbing, and she said to me, I thought I was the only one who dreamed of home on the battlefield. She said, I thought I was the only one, and I realized I'm simply doing what people have done for hundreds of years. And, and that was all it took. And it, was, it, it opened up in a dialogue between me and them, and it was no longer about who was a colonel or a private or this or that or whether you were in the Army or the Marines or whether you were in Vietnam or whether you were in Iraq. You were a woman dreaming on the battlefield, and you were dreaming like someone dreamed in 1865, and that was what became important, and they all began to share their dreams. That is so amazing. What a... What a transformation. Now, we only have a few minutes left. Um, I just want to let our listeners know that there is going to be a guest page created for you uh, with your website and information about you. But maybe you could tell us in the last few minutes, just the the, uh, new creative project you've got going with John right now. Oh, it's it's very exciting. John is a, John Kenoshian is a singer-songwriter and I, we've been sharing stories first about um, my work with Dreaming of Home in the Battlefield, and he has written his own songs for his own healing and for the healing um, of others from his dreams. And, uh, and we met several years ago, and we, we have begun putting a, a program together. In fact, one of the things we're going to be doing next year is a whitewater adventure where we do dreams and music on uh, Indian Lake as it flows into the Indian River in the Adirondacks and have a uh, camping program where people can come and share their dreams around the campfire and he will be playing the music that he has written. Well, we've come to the end of our interview and I want to thank Wanda Birch so much for being such a wonderful guest. I also want to remind our listeners that we've been talking about Wanda's fascinating book entitled She Who Dreams, A Journey into Healing Through Dreamwork. I highly recommend this book as an excellent read. Also, Wanda and John Kenosian are offering a new program called Healing Through Dreams and Music. This program provides participants with tools for claiming their personal healing energy through dreams and music which are both easily accessible gifts of the imagination that can offer healing to the souls and hearts of those who suffer from illness, trauma, pain, or everyday anxiety. And as Wanda mentioned, in 2016 they will also offer a program called River of Dreams, which is an overnight whitewater camping retreat with Square Eddy Whitewater Adventures on Indian Lake in the Adirondack Mountains. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this interview. 
and please join us again next week on Conscious Evolution Radio. Thank you again for tuning in to Conscious Evolution Radio. Please join Ann Gelsheimer for another great show next Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. We hope to see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.